Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. everybody to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, which is new every Thursday via podcastone.com or iTunes. Be sure to check out the all-new Podcast One app. You can get that in uh, the Google Store, the App Store, whatever you have, iTunes, uh, Android device, whatever. I should say Apple or uh, Android device. There is a very cool, new, redesigned, extremely interactive free podcast one app grab it so much you can do so much interactivity i think you will enjoy it check it out when you get a chance also speaking of checking it out i hope you guys have taken a second to check out my own storefront on amazon this is really cool if you go to amazon.com slash shop slash eddie trunk and you bookmark that and you start all your shopping on Amazon on that bookmark and on that page, it would be greatly appreciated. And here's what's really cool about it. If you start on that page, you will see my own storefront. And in it are things that I have personally picked that may be of interest to you to purchase. Much of it is rock and music related. So each and every week, uh, the the items in there will change and update every week or two, and it'll be stuff that, for the most part, is all of interest to you or things that I might be talking about, and it's a cool way for for you to uh, discover some things and a cool way to buy them. So again, please have a look, amazon.com slash shop slash Eddie Trunk. That is my personal storefront. Start there, have a look at what I put in my store, and from there, Continue on to all other areas of Amazon if you are looking to purchase something. I would appreciate it. Again, Amazon.com slash shop slash Eddie Trunk. I think you'll like some of the things that I've handpicked to be in my storefront. And I appreciate you starting your Amazon shopping on that page and on that URL each and every time you go to Amazon. So this week, we've got a double dip for you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to make sure I put these items in my Amazon store right now. Because we are highlighting Def Leppard's 30th anniversary of Hysteria. And there is a new super deluxe set from that that is now out. There's a vinyl CD, DVD set. And then there's like a seven disc set that is the DVDs and a bunch of bonus discs. And of course, both feature the original album remastered. Your choice of on vinyl or on CD. I'll be sure they're in the storefront on Amazon as well. So you can easily find them if you'd like to buy those. Going to be talking to Joe Elliott today, 
Def Leppard's lead singer for a little bit about the anniversary of Hysteria and what the band have coming down the line. Later in the podcast this week, Rex Brown joins me. Rex Brown, best known as the bass player from Pantera. He has stepped out on his own now with his debut solo album called Smoke on This, where Rex plays guitar, bass, and lead vocals. Much more straight-up rock sort of thing for Rex Brown than he's done in the past. Uh, Very cool, actually. So we'll talk to Rex about his solo debut and what his plans are for his solo band. Double Dip. Def Leppard, Joe Elliott, their singer, talking about the 30th anniversary of Hysteria and more, and Rex Brown talking about his debut solo album, Smoke on This. I'll put both of them in the uh, in my store at uh, Amazon.com slash shop slash Eddie Trunk. Very easy to find the stuff I'm talking about if you'd like to buy it right there. So we'll start with Joe, who gave me a call from England. He was really... Def Leppard really got into and got behind uh, making the rounds to do the 30th anniversary of Hysteria. When you consider everything that they put into making this record, four years, the drummer lost his arm. They started with a different producer, went to another one. I mean, it's really pretty remarkable. We were dealing with an international phone connection here on the Joe Elliott interview, so obviously we had a a little bit of a, a couple little dropouts here and there, but you can hear the most of it and you'll get the idea of what we were talking about. So get ready for Joe Elliott, and like I said, Rex Brown later on as well. As usual, all the interviews you hear on the Eddie Trunk podcast originate from my radio show, which is called Trunk Nation, and airs every day, Monday to Friday, live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, replay every night, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern, and always on demand on the SiriusXM app. You can hear me every day during those hours, on Sirius XM Radio Channel 106 Volume. Also do a sixth show on Volume on Mondays on Channel 39. You got my terrestrial radio show out there on various markets across the country, including New York on Q1043 and Boston on AAF and many others, The Hog in Milwaukee, so many other cool ones as well. Kansas City, we thank everybody for running the FM show. And, of course, bringing you this podcast with a new episode each and every Thursday. But the interviews you get... All originated on the Daily Sirius XM show. And as I always say, you're just getting a little tip of the iceberg of what I do on a daily basis over on volume. So if you don't have Sirius XM, hope you get it. Hope you join us and get involved in being able to call in and talk to many of these artists and talk to me about rock music each and every day on volume. So that's what we have in store for you. Before we move forward, a quick couple of notes here. I want to... uh, tell you about a great experience i had last week i shot the first episode of a brand new soon to be officially announced tv show that i will be hosting i know i've been a little cryptic about this the last couple weeks and honestly it's because i'm unsure of how much i can and can't say haven't gotten a lot of direction on that front yet the show is still a ways away from premiering it'll be able to be seen for the first time in early 2018 but I'm going to be out and about at various music festivals shooting episodes of it. Again, hate to be cryptic. I'll be able to share much more about it when I get the green light and figure out how the network wants to roll it out. But I'm very excited. It was great to do some TV again. We shot the first episode in Sturgis, South Dakota, and did that exactly a week ago, last Thursday. And it was fun being back in Sturgis. I had not been there for over 10 years, about 11 years ago, I shot a special there last for VH1 Classic. 
and it was great to be back there again for this brand new show to be announced soon. Did a lot of cool stuff. Shot some huge guns. If you follow me on social media, I shot these huge rifles, and I'd never really shot anything before, so that was quite a trip. Rode in a sidecar on a motorcycle. Got a tour of a motorcycle a museum. Of course, Sturgis is all about motorcycles the time that I was there. Spent a lot of time at the Buffalo Chip. Saw George Thorogood, interviewed him. Then went over, saw my buddy Jesse James Dupree over at the Full Throttle. What a job they've done on that. They built that thing up big time. And it was good to see Jesse for a bit. Jackal was playing that night. So it was really a lot of fun. I cannot wait to be able to tell you more about this TV show. Again, a little ways down the road before it airs. We're looking at early 2018. But as soon as I can give you all the details, I will. And as soon as I let you know uh, what we're doing, what we're going to be doing going forward, I'll let you know as well. I also was over in Oakdale, California this past weekend, hosted an event called Sierra View Music Festival, Queensryche, Warrant, Bullet Boys, a lot of fun there. Kind of a cool setting. It was a farm, and it was really somebody's backyard. I mean, backstage, there were literally goats and pigs walking around. I swear to God, it was crazy. But it was a fun time there in Northern California. So always on the road, always running around, always doing all sorts of stuff. And I can tell you that next up for me, is, uh, well, as you're hearing this, if you're listening to it on post day, which is Thursday, the 17th of August, tonight and to- or today and tomorrow, I am in Houston, and I'm doing my volume show live on Sirius XM, doing it live from the House of Blues in Houston from 1 to 3 Central Time. That's when the show airs, of course, uh, in Texas. So if you are in Houston, it's totally free. You can come down and meet me and uh, and see some of the show. Again, today, the 17th and tomorrow, the 18th of August, from 1 to 3 p.m. Central, Houston time. And it's totally free, totally open to the public in the restaurant area of the House of Blues. Then this Friday night, Hosting a show with Stephen Piercy and the Bullet Boys. That'll be at Tumbleweeds, and that is in Houston, Texas. And another quick note, there's a show coming up very quickly now, September 16th, Irisburg, Vermont. It's called Shrindom. It's a Shriner's Benefit. And they've just added a couple more acts to that bill. Vince Neal and Slaughter join a lineup that already has Lita Ford, Warrant, and Firehouse. So I'll be seeing you there on September 16th, Irisburg, Vermont, Two acts just added to that bill, Vince Neal and Slaughter. If you're in that area of the country, hope that you can join us for that. Also just added, October 22nd, I will be in Tulsa to host Warrant and Firehouse at the IDL Ballroom. And those tickets are on sale now. As usual, everything I have going on as it gets confirmed will be on the homepage of eddytrunk.com. And be sure to follow on Twitter at eddytrunk for up-to-the-second news and updates. Also at Eddie Trunk on on uh, Facebook and Instagram. All right, so let's get a, a quick little break here. First interview will be Joe Elliott of Def Leppard talking about the 30th anniversary of Hysteria and a whole lot more, and that'll be followed this week by Rex Brown of Pantera, Kill Devil Hill, and now Solo with his new album, Smoke on This. We'll talk to him a little bit. And you also get a revealing insight on where things stand in the Pantera camp when Rex joins us a little bit later on.
Thanks for being here. Thanks for downloading, streaming, wherever you're listening around the world. Appreciate you checking out the Eddie Trunk Podcast. We'll come right back with Joe Elliott. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. In order to feel comfortable that you're getting a fair price, you need pricing context, right? Information that empowers you to feel confident. Well, with TrueCar, you'll see what other people in your local market paid for the car you want. So there's some pricing context right there. And from there, you can connect with a local TrueCar certified dealer and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. By using TrueCar, you can easily find the car you want. TrueCar will show you what other people in your area paid for the car you want. Now you know what a fair price is, so you can feel confident. Once you register, you'll see real pricing on actual inventory. This is competitive pricing offered to you only by a TrueCar certified dealer for an actual vehicle on their lot. It's pricing you'll see before going to a dealership, so you can feel confident when you show up. With TrueCar, you can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing you can enjoy a quick, easy buying experience. True Car customers, they are more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with a True Car certified dealer. True Car users, well, they save an average of over 3000 off MSRP. So when you're ready to buy, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features, they are not available in all states. There are 120,000 unsolved murder cases in America. It was the next day that I found out from my parents what had happened, that my sister was killed. Each one is called a cold case. Sometimes you have to look really closely to find the evidence. Damn, I, I killed her. Damn it, I killed her. Cold Case Files, the podcast. Garcia is walking into the home of a real monster. I was nervous. I realized what kind of person I was dealing with. It's a goosebump moment. Download new episodes every Tuesday on the Podcast One app or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back, everybody, to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. First up, Joe Elliott celebrating the 30th anniversary of Hysteria. We join Joe in a car somewhere with someone talking in the background. In London, about a week and a half ago, as the band celebrated 30 years of hysteria on the Eddie Trunk podcast. How are you, Joe? Hello, mate. I'm good. How are you? I'm good, man. Are you in Ireland now, or are you still here in the States? No. I'm, no, I'm in London. I'm in London, England, where I've been doing... I started yesterday, and I've been nonstop. I'm glad I'm not singing this evening. That's all I've been talking I've been talking <laughs> for 48 hours promoting this and talking about and celebrating this 30th anniversary of what is a very iconic record. It's been uh, it's been a hell of a couple of days. It's brought back some really weird memories, but it's been fun. 
Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to ask you because I've read a lot in the last couple of days, Joe, that that you and some of the other guys have done about the record. You did a, a, a little uh, video on YouTube that was really cool about it. There's been a lot said about the record in the last couple of days, and I'm wondering for you how that's felt. How has it felt to revisit 30 years ago? Are you by nature kind of a nostalgic guy or no? Not particularly, no, but I, I just feel when it's something like this, you have to embrace it. You can't just kiss it and go, well, you know, we don't want to talk about it. It is a fantastically iconic album. It's a major important part of our, of our DNA, you know. I mean, something that we 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 chose to do back in 1987, the way that we made that record. It was it was a breakthrough record from a sonic point of view. And um, it's it's a yardstick that we've judged, we've been judged against ever since and probably forever will be. And in fairness, so other artists have, I've spoke to so many people in different bands that every time we mention an album, we always put hysteria on to see if we're getting it right. You know, I mean, it, it was something to judge against if you were into that kind of melodic hard rock stuff. And, um, you know, so it, it, it's great to embrace it for time. And specifically, the 30th anniversary is very important, you know, so it, it, it's not been a, a pain at all. It's been a, a pleasure to do. Yeah, I would think so. A few things, Joe, on this, you know, that that maybe the audience doesn't know and hasn't read about. And I, having worked in the business when Hysteria came out, I remember this very clearly. When the album was released, I went to a release party for the album that Polygram threw in New York at a place called the Cat Club. I don't remember if any of the guys from the band were there. But I do remember that Women had already been released as a single here in America. The video was getting some play on MTV. And there was genuine panic and concern, and I, was, I knew your managers at the time as well, because the record coming off of Pyromania, which of course was a smash here in America, was not performing at that point the way the, way the label was hoping it would. And I always wondered if you guys caught some of that or were kind of shielded from it, or did they share with you the panic that they felt at the label about the record potentially being a flop? I think maybe the panic was in, was put into them by us by saying, we told you not to go with women first. It wasn't a great move. <laughs> the rest of the world had gone with Animal, and it was a smash. It was like, you know, our first big hit in England and the UK. It was huge in Europe, and they chose not to go with that because I think they were worried about credibility or some nonsense as, as regards to, oh, we better go with a heavy track first. And so we were always out of sync. By the time Animal came along, the whole thing started to kick in a bit more. And it kicked in with each, you know, subsequent single that we released, the album got stronger and stronger and stronger. With hindsight, I don't mind that it took 49 weeks to reach number one in the States and it was straight in the one in the UK. Because it finally established in Europe, which we hadn't been established before. And in America, it was re-establishment and it took a long time, but you know, you look back at it and you think there wasn't really any panic on our part. There really didn't panic on the management part because we'd, we'd had the discussion about what to do and we were totally against going with women first. But as it turns out, it wasn't a bad thing because it all worked out in the end. So it's hard to criticize it 30 years later. That was the other thing in reading some of the press in the last few days about hysteria that I was kind of surprised about from my vantage point here in America. And that is the fact that 
you know, I worked in a record store when Pyromania came out. We we sold boxes of it. I mean, it was um, no. I don't need to remind anybody in the U.S. how big Pyromania was and the videos from it and all of that. But what I found astonishing, Joe, in an in interview, interview, I forget where I read it that you 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 did, is that in England that you still were relatively unknown, and and there was a story. I forget what article it was that you your mom people didn't believe your mom when when she would tell them, well, my son is a big rock star because in the UK you hadn't broken like hysteria was the breakthrough record. So you had this massive success in America, but on your home turf, you were still relatively unknown. That's correct. We were a theater band at best. We were playing Hammersmith Odeon, in Sheffield City Hall, 2000, 3000, venues. We were an album band. I hadn't had any, like chart success, if you like. You know, first album went top 20, and then we kind of just disappeared. But in America, it was going up and up and up. So, yeah, it was kind of odd. And so, yeah, you're in a band, right? Yeah, okay. But then all of a sudden, when Animal was a big hit, like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> it was a little weird. I mean, it took 10 years from almost the day me and South met before we had a hit. You know, that's a long time. Why do you think, or did you ever think about why it was that Pyromania connected so big in America and sold millions of copies and, and, and kept you guys under the radar in England? And, and, and then subsequently, why was it that Hysteria made the connection in England so much? I mean, obviously Hysteria, super successful here in America as well, but, but why, why do you think there was the disconnect for Def Leppard in the UK until Hysteria? It was purely down to the fact that the way radio is in the UK compared to the way it is in the States, every city in America had one minimum, maybe two, rock stations that would play music 24 hours a day. And in the UK, we had one national station, and it was Top 40 that did specialist rock shows twice a week for an hour. So you don't, didn't really get the exposure that you can get in the States. And unless you had a hit in the UK, when it was in everybody's, you know, on the top 40 charts, so, I mean, then you get played and then your records would sell. So it was, you know, we didn't have one with Hysteria. Uh, sorry, with Panamania, we didn't have a hit. Um, we weren't getting played on the radio. But we were in the States, so constantly we had a hit in the States. When, 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 when Hysteria came out, Animal was a single before the album, so it was the only thing available, so kids would be buying it. We'd set ourselves up in the UK the year before by playing Donington, um, which was Rick's first gig back after his accident, and they were kind of primed for this record. And by then, Pyromania had sold. By, by the summer of 87, when this theory came out, Pyromania was up to two, two 300,000 copies in the UK, which is quite a lot, but it was over a long period of time. By the time we had a hit uh, with Animal, um, they were primed and the album just flew um, because he was getting airplay, and it was literally down to airplay. Let me ask you about uh, a lot's made about the production of the record. And of course, a lot of credit goes to Mutt Lang and we'll touch on that in a second, but I wanted to ask you about it's been, it's come out in the press and for people who've, follow Def Leppard closely, people know that the album was originally going to be produced, and you started work on the record with Jim Steinman, who's best known for his work with Meatloaf, and I, I know that didn't work out, and I've seen a lot written about that in some of the recent articles, but what I was wondering about is, did you ever complete a total song songs, or did you complete the album, or songs in any way with Steinman? Is there is there anything around that, even maybe if you have no. in your personal archives of a complete song that Steinman did? 
Not at all. No, we, it's one of the questions that came up about the box set, like why didn't we feature any of the Steinway and stuff? It doesn't exist. You know, back in 1984, 85, you were recording onto two-inch analog tape and you'd do sessions and if they didn't work out, we would wipe them. You know, we would wipe, record over the top. When we started working with Nigel, we'd go, okay, that one's got to go. We might keep the drums and we'd replace some of the guitar parts and then we'd end up replacing everything. So, as far as I'm aware, there is absolutely not in existence anywhere anything to do with this diamond sessions. We just, you know, it was at a time period where it was going to be expensive to keep all the early tape and keep using fresh stuff. And we were just trying to make a record, so it's like, well, we'll just wipe it off because we're not going to use this ever. We, we weren't thinking at the time about the historical value it might have in 30 years' time. You don't think like that. You know, it's just like we didn't like what we had, so we got rid of it. And of course, Mutt Lang would, of course, uh, end up coming back and doing the record and, and loom large in the story of Hysteria in terms of singing and how he pushed you guys and contributing to the writing and all that. I'm wondering, uh, Mutt is, is obviously known for being a very reclusive guy, but have, have you, are you or anybody in the band, are you still in touch with him? And have you talked to him about the 30th anniversary of Hysteria? Is, did you guys have any dialogue or remembrances? I certainly didn't. Phil talks to Mutt quite a lot. I haven't I haven't thought of Mutt in a while. He normally only calls me up when his football team have beaten mine. Uh, he likes <laughs> to rip that in. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm a, I'm, a little, I'm a little out of the loop with Mutt. I, I know that Phil talks to him on a least a weekly basis. But oh, wow. He wouldn't, have, um, he, he wouldn't have been interested in getting into the... Uh, he wouldn't have been getting in, interested in getting into the... the, the celebrations on the tour. It's not his thing. He's the guy that likes to keep himself to himself, make the record, you know, and leave it to us to promote it. He was he was more than happy to work on that tour, but he doesn't want to talk about it. It's not it's not his thing, you know, it's not his thing. Yeah, yeah, but he's uh, it's certainly something obviously that's come up a lot. His name obviously connected to this because he was such a big part of the story uh, with it. A couple other things, Joe, that I found incredible, and in, uh, looking back now in retrospect is the fact that Rick Allen and him losing his arm during the recording of this record and, and what went on and the whole story around that. When, when I, and I've always given you guys credit for this. I think it is incredibly admirable that you stuck with him and ne- you guys never even thought of the immediate knee-jerk reaction is drummer loses arm, we've got to make a record, we're going to get, let's find a drummer. I mean... When you look at what goes on today in music, when you don't know who's in what band and everyone's interchangeable, and I mean, look at ACDC recently, Brian Johnson, hearing problem. Well, we'll get another guy. I mean, it's crazy. And and for you guys to have stuck with Rick is is an unbelievable uh, thing that I think you don't get enough credit for. Talk, talk a little bit about that decision. And, and did, was there ever a moment where you said, well, we're going to have to bring in another drummer here? Not at all. Never, never occurred to us to do that. He, he was, you know, his brother, his, 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 his family, you know, we were friends before we were musicians. I, the fact that he says musician on my passport is kind of embarrassing. I find it all thing a little weird. Um, but it never, no, it never, never, ever, ever occurred to us to do anything like that. He was, he was in the band until he said he wasn't. And then, uh, you know, he never said that. So he's still in the band. It was, you know, it was just the right thing to do. It's just, it's the way that we work. It's the way that we work. We've always been that way. You know, we've always stuck with 
as long as we could. Even with Pete, we, Pete Willis was given so many opportunities to turn himself around until we didn't, until we just couldn't deal with it anymore. But um, we tried. We really, really tried to never have a lineup change, you know. And uh, it worked. It was, it was easy because it was the human, it was a humane thing to do, you know. It's the humanity that's the important thing for us, not the, not the exchanging musicians every five minutes so we can get, you know, reach a deadline and, and uh, you know, whatever reasons people swap out musicians, we just, it's never been in our DNA to do that if you don't need to. Yeah, it's an amazing, amazing testament to loyalty that I reference often when I see so many bands just change guys out and people don't even know who's in them when they go to see them, it seems like. Speaking of lineup changes, too, the other thing about Hysteria, and I haven't seen anybody really bring this up, but Phil Collin, this was really the first Def Leppard album that Phil Collin was involved in fully from the start because Phil Phil is on Pyromania, but he kind of came in, speaking to Pete Willis, a little bit later in the game and, of course, he had done a bunch of touring with you and been a member for a while, but can you talk a little bit about that? Because I would imagine this was the first time you really had Phil from the start in the studio as far as the creative process and really been able to get everything you could out of him, right? That's correct, yeah. When when Phil joined the band, which he says to this day, he's never actually been officially asked. <laughs> he came down to the sessions on Pyromania at my request because we'd been hanging out and known Phil for years, you know. 1980s, stayed at my parents' house when girl played Sheffield opening to UFO and I stayed at his place in London when we were down there. And he was, I wanted him in the band, you know, in 1981, but it was just, it wasn't feasible to do. Um, he came in on Pyromania when there were still solos, backing vocals, little licks that needed doing. So he was, he kind of, he was a great way to kind of come in. The songs were already written. When we came to Hysteria, of course, it was his first opportunity to write with us. And, and by then, you know, we got to know him and, and we knew his style. And we knew that what he was going to bring to the band was going to be more in the direction that we wanted to go. Because some of the stuff that he'd written with Girl, I thought was very adventurous. And it was slightly left field of your bog standard rock and, and we were really interested in that side of things because it wasn't just it wasn't all deep purple black sabbath like definitely definitely we were rocks music and japan and and you know bands like sparks and 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 you know mostly things like queen and so that but even they were pretty left field at times and, and he was going to bring that flavor in it was just a little bit more commercial but at the same time less field and unusual and experimental and braver than just going with the straightforward rock and we always wanted to push the envelope a little bit which is why that album sounds the way it does it is a lot more sonic it's a lot more star wars for the ears as we always like to say it's not just a band setting up recorded drums bass guitar guitar like you know like a live performance in the studio it's orchestrated and pieced together and invented. It's like painting on a blank canvas and keep going until you, you've got something that's different to everything else that's up there. Because of all the layering and all the vocals and how hard you were pushed to sing on Hysteria, while, we're, while you were making it, did it ever cross your mind that, oh shit, I've got to sing this stuff for 30 years? I'm not quite sure how we're going to do this live. Not really. No, you know, you never think 
like the 30-year thing. I mean, I'm, I'm maybe now I would be brave enough to think, yeah, there might be a 40th anniversary of, of this theory. Because, you know, we've come this far, why wouldn't it go any further? When we made that record, we didn't really know that we were going to be talking about it 30 years later. We certainly didn't think we'd be playing it 30 years later, and it never occurred to me to worry about it. You know, I mean, some of those songs were hard to sing, but it, it, it was only because of the way that he was trying to push the best performance he could out of every one of us. You know, the backing vocals were difficult, the lead vocals were difficult, the, 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 with getting the guitar timing right was difficult. The whole thing was we were trying to go into areas that not many people had ever been to before. You know, and it was a lot of dead ends we went down making that record just because we were experimenting. And it wasn't all about performance. It was about writing and production and, and just trying out all these new techniques that were available because it was digital technology really coming to the forefront. So we could we could push the envelope and, and take a song like Run Riot, which in essence is just Summertime Blues by Eddie Cochran on steroids. You know, um, it's a similar kind of vibe, but you listen to it and the production is insanely massive. And that's, you know, that's all part of it. So you're pushing performance to match production and that you have to be superhuman. And, you know, none of us really are. So you've got to try and put in superhuman performances um, and then you turn the rest of your life. And barring illnesses, like when I was sick on the boat and stuff like that, most of the time, you can pull it off because it made us up our game. And that's one of the greatest things about this record is that we became much better people and musicians for having made it. Yeah, Joe, I'll let you go in a second. I don't want to hold you too long, but but there's but uh, the other thing when you mentioned the digital age that was interesting is the fact that this this record and I'd read this somewhere too was really one of the first records made with the 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 CD market in mind because uh, Hysteria clocks in at around sixty minutes, which is a pretty long record. So, so talk a little bit about that. I mean, that was—I don't know if that was Mutt's call, but but to go to a record that length because you could deliver it sonically properly for the first time because the majority of people, uh, really, the first Def Leppard album, the majority of people would be buying on CD at that time. Yeah, we were very aware of that. It actually, comes in at sixty-three minutes, so. You know, when people say, how can you spend so long making an album? And you have to think about it. We made an album and a half is what we did. And um, because, you know, by the time we were getting to the end of the record, we were figuring out that if for every 10 records we sold, we were probably going to sell seven on CD as opposed to cassette or vinyl. So the swap-overs part, um, where you go to side two, was less important than ever before. So we could judge this whole thing as a whole which affected the way we thought about the running order um, as much as, it, you know, the songwriting wasn't really a consideration by then. That was done and dusted. But the running order was something that we could, for the first time, we were one of the few bands that could go, okay, well, it doesn't matter. We don't need that kick to start side two off because there is no side two. What we were aware of was that maybe psychologically most people are, you know, set to, to listen to a record that's maybe 40 minutes long, 45 minutes long. It's, it's like me. You used to record your albums onto cassette. You could mostly get most out. You could get most two albums on a C90. Only occasionally would you run out of tape during the last song of an album. It came in at 48 minutes. Most albums came in at, you know, 40 less. 
Uh, it sounds like Joe, sounds like we're losing you a little bit there, Joe. Yeah, they, Joe, you back? Can you, can you hear me? Out? Yeah, I think you just came back. Okay, I'm here. Yeah, I can hear you. You're yeah. talking about recording albums on on cassettes. I mean, I did that when I was a kid too. You brought back great memories there because I still have some of my cassette mixtapes. Or when I would put, I could I could put two Van Halen records on one side because they were so short. You know, twenty twenty eight minutes or or Kiss uh, Dressed to Kill at twenty seven minutes, and you could put all that stuff on one. I remember those are great stories. I remember that vividly. Well, we we made a point of putting Run Riot at about forty minutes. 42 minutes because it's like that's maybe where people think it's going to close down so we need to wake them up make sure that they know that still under 20 minutes to go. <laughs> it was it was it was fun to be able to be at the forefront of that we weren't the first Tesla made an album 60 minutes long a year before we did um, and I'm sure other bands did, did similar but I wasn't aware of any of them but we were aware of the fact that for us we had the opportunity to not worry about side 2 and we were presenting this thing as not a concept record, but at least a concept of listening to it all in one go, um, which was going to be unusual because most people's attention spans weren't, weren't tuned in for 63 minutes. They have become maybe attuned to it now, but in 1987, it was a, pr- a brand new way of, of looking at things. Two quick things and I'll let you go, Joe. Would you ever want to work with Mutt Lang again? I wouldn't say no. I don't know whether he'd ever want to actually do it. You know, I mean, we've, we people seem to forget that we actually did three songs as much on the on the uh, Euphoria album, but they didn't really set the world on fire. Um, you know, I I would I would I wouldn't have any real objections, but I'm not sure it's something that I'd want to like run head on into, and, and I don't know whether he would either. Some things are something their natural end, and you want to do things a little differently, and. Um, you know, it would be interesting to see if we were on the same wavelength all this time later. That would be the interesting point. And if we could get past that, it would be a possibility, I suppose. And finally, you just wrapped up your tour here in the U.S. with Poison and Tesla. Uh, anything that you can tell us what's next for Leopard? What are your future plans? What's the, you know, looking at touring next year again? Or what, what, what are we, uh, what's the plan going forward? Well, we've got um, a short tour of South America starting on the 21st of September, which opens up at Rock in Rio, which is going to be huge because it's uh, like 110,000 fell out already um, with Aerosmith. Uh, and we've got a couple of shows with a Who. Actually, we've got one show with a Who, four shows with Aerosmith and some headline shows in Buenos Aires and Mexico. And then we're wrapped. We're done. Um, we're done until maybe next May. We may be looking at doing some shows worldwide tour possibly next year. We let the grown-ups come up with some ideas and we'll talk about them later on. Right now, I'm just enjoying a little break, promoting this record, getting ready for South America. I've got a down and out album to record, which I'm hoping to do this winter. Um, and we've all got our fingers in a few little individual pies. Vivian is out on tour right now with Last in Line, somewhere in Germany. Um, so everybody's still kind of got their own little thing going. But um, Leopard will probably be back in the saddle sometime next spring. 
Well, Joe, there's so much I could hit you with. I love talking music with you. Whenever you get some time, I'd love to have you come in and sit in on a, on a full show and we can get into so much more. But I, I appreciate the time. And uh, everybody check out the special 30th edition of, of Hysteria, which is available today wherever you buy CDs, vinyl, uh, very, very cool packaging and some great bonus stuff in there as well. Have a great weekend, Joe. Thanks for the time. You too, but thanks for having me on. But I'll talk to you soon, and I will come visit, I promise. All right, you got it. Take care. My thanks to Joe Elliott of Def Leppard for joining me. Always fun to talk music with Joe. Coming up next, Rex Brown of Pantera fame. Rex joins us to talk about his new solo album and a whole lot more. Stick around. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. A&E's Emmy-nominated, groundbreaking docuseries, Leah Remini, Scientology in the Aftermath, has returned for season number two. All new episodes every Tuesday, 9, 8 central on A&E. Leah Remini, Scientology in the Aftermath, follows Leah, along with high-level former Scientology executives and church members, as they delve deep into shocking stories of abuse, heartbreak, and harassment experienced by those who have left the church and spoken publicly about their experiences. This season, Leah Remini continues her quest to give a voice to victims of the Church of Scientology. The series also explores accounts of former members whose whose lives have been significantly impacted by the Church's practices. Remini is helping people take action, turning survivors into fighters, revealing truths, and seeking justice. Catch up on episodes on the A&E app and AETV.com. And be sure to check it out. Leah Remini, Scientology in the Aftermath, Season 2. New episodes Tuesdays, 9, 8 central on A&E. Hey, have you heard? Podcast One has a whole bunch of awesome new shows filled with big names that are waiting for you on our brand new amazing app. This one's a game changer. There's Norman Lear talking to Amy Poehler, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and Charles Barkley. Geffen Playhouse Unscripted with Brian Cranston, Josh Gad, and soon Neil Patrick Harris. Nice. OC Real Housewife, Heather Dubrow's World, Lady Gang's Three Mimosa Podcast with Leah Michelle, Nelly Furtado, L. King, and more. Plus every episode of the Adam Carolla Show, Dan Patrick, and Rich Eisen. And if you like what happens in the ring, we've got Steve Austin, Chris Jericho, Chael Sonnen, and a whole bunch more. So download our one-of-a-kind new app and see for yourself. Go to the App Store, Google Play, or download it now at podcastone.com. This This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Eddie Trunk back with this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. Up now, Rex Brown. You know him best as the bass player from Pantera. He's got a brand new solo record. He'll tell us all about it right now on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. What's going on, brother? How are you? Eddie, how the hell are you, man? I got to start with this, man, before we get to your record, yeah, because you you are uh, from Texas, of course, and you are, if I'm not mistaken, like me and so many others, a big Kiss fan, grew up a big Kiss fan. Yeah. Did you see this story about the cow that looks like Gene Simmons? No. You haven't seen it? What? No, uh, maybe briefly, man. I'm not a big social guy. Um, <laughs> look uh, it anyway. Look it up. Look it's it up. on my. It's on my website. It's everywhere. It's it's literally like a viral thing in the last 24 hours. Rex, there is a okay. cow. There is a cow <laughs> in Texas that, because of its markings, its 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 face, 
it's black, <laughs> black and white no of way. its fur on its face is exactly like Gene Simmons, and it hangs its tongue out. Get the f- out. You can say That's get insane, the fuck out. Dude. <laughs> okay, I'll get the fuck out. I'm telling you, man. Uh, well, you know, moo, moo, buddy. <laughs> and they they named and they named the cow. The rancher named the cow Gene, and um, oh, and they're saying that this the, the only reason why the cow has not been turned into steaks yet is because it looks like Gene, and they think it's funny. And they'll probably charge tickets to see the some bitch and you know your picture taken with it. <laughs> That'd be great. Well, Gene, now you're thinking like Gene, and Gene knows about yeah, it. Well, no, I, I, please don't say that, but that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Ow. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like a goat or something. No, it's a calf. I, I and you know, the demon goat, you know. Yeah, and you know Gene would be putting a turnstile on this guy's ranch right now. A dollar ninety-nine. Each oh, Kiss yeah. fan gets a photo yeah. with the calf. <laughs> and put, a, put a carnival up with it, you know. Oh, how, that's hilarious, bro! And they named that's, it Gene. They named the yeah. They named it Gene. I wonder how the rancher knew Gene Simmons. You know, most old Texas boys out there in the in the pasture don't follow up on the old Kiss days. You know, <laughs> that's a good point. Great, I don't man. know. Yeah, you'll get a kick out of it. I just this story has just been making the rounds today, and I figured you being a Texas guy, you would appreciate that. So, dude, I will look it. I will look it up. I swear. As soon as I get off the phone with you. So, congratulations so on the new record, man. Smoke on this. We talked about it a little finally. bit. Now it's finally out. Finally, I'm like, oh my, you know what I do now? I, I'm just uh, well, we start touring. So. um yeah, I just got off a of vacation. I, in fact, I took the vacation off during the week because my birthday was during that week, and I just kind of want to watch it unfold, you know. And and uh, man, I'm I'm just blown away by the response and the and to all the fans that have, have picked this thing up, man. It's just been overwhelming, you know. I'm just kind of I'm just pinching myself. I really am, you know. And it, it's it's uh, such a good relief to, you know, to, for me artistically, you know, just to go on this little. Uh, on this little run of doing what I want to do, you know, that that's the most important thing. And it, you know, it, it, it's a very personal record at the same time. It's got something for everybody in it, you know? Um, well, that's what I was, that was, that's what I was going to ask you about. That's what I was going to ask you about Rex, because the, talk about if you can, how this came together, because it's, this has got to be personal for you because I was thinking about this before. Of course, you, you, all the years in Pantera, you played with down. That was a band. Kill Devil Hill, that was a band. This is the first thing that you're putting out that bears your name. You're singing on it. You're playing guitar. You co-wrote all the songs. I mean, th- this is really, really you you in, in a big way. Well, you know, it, it was uh, – I, I was sitting on the back of the bus one day, and I'll make this very short and sweet. Um, and I just felt burnt, man, to the point of – I gotta take a break, you know. I've got to, I've got to go do something that's gonna. And what it is is go go watch the grass grow, man. Just go watch your kids, you know, uh, get through their sophomore year in school. And so I told myself I'm gonna take two years off, and it and it wasn't eight months that I was back writing songs. And I, I hooked up with my really good friend Lance Harville, who's in Nashville. And we found us a drummer through uh, Chad Lee, photographer, friend of ours, Ed. And um, 
at Christopher Williams, and he turned me on this producer. We we were just going to demo some tracks, and it, you know, three days turned into like three weeks, and uh, it was just this chemistry that we found, and and it just led to okay, let's finish four songs, and then I'd go home for a little bit. Let's finish four songs, and then uh, you know, let's finish these other twelve. I mean, you know, we went from twenty four to thirteen, and eleven made the cut. So um, you know, I'm still sitting on a lot of material, but. Um, just being able to go and it, the, the main focal point was the vocals. You know, uh, can you sing, man? You know, I know I can sing, but where is this going to fit in? Or where is, and once we found where that was going to be, then everything took a turn for, you know, then we could start taking these little elements apart and really adding to them and stripping away and, and everything else. Because we had, Lance and I demoed these things for, you know, a good two months of me just going back and forth. And so anyway, man, I pulled all my stuff out of LA and, and, uh, family, family warehouse in, in Nashville, man. And it's just the coolest place in the world to, to, uh, be creative. You know, it's, um, it's a, it's a very liberating feeling. Harville. Is it Lance Harville? Yeah. He's an extremely killer songwriter and guitar player. And, uh, we had done a record before, uh, that went for placement, went down and did it. Willie's place down in uh, Pernalis, and and uh, and it just never came out. And this and that was about the same time. Uh, in fact, Benny Apsey kind of did an audition, but jam with with that incarnation of that little band um, after I got out of down. So you know, Lance and I. Lance goes back to the days of me and him and Dime, um, all writing songs. Um, so he goes back a long way. He just never got his you know it's 10 minutes you know what i'm saying or five or four three but he's a extremely gifted guy and and you know i couldn't have done this thing without without christopher williams who plays an accept now and and uh caleb sherman my producer um it was just uh we had to, some kind of chemistry man was flowing in that room in that studio and it was just um it was just amazing man and and i got to, it, it was just such a you know, for me, wearing the white hat on this thing, there was so much that had to be done. You know, um, you know, once you get the music out, you know, you give it to somebody and just say, go with it. But I didn't want to do that. I don't want to throw this up against the wall and just see if she sticks. Um, so, you know, it, it, like I was saying, it's just been great with the interaction with the fans. I've been doing a bunch of live Facebook stuff, and it's just incredible, man. You know, this is what I want to be doing, and it's it's, it's not necessarily metal, but you, you can take the bar, the boy from the farm, but you can't take the farm far from the boy. You know. Well, there's not. I mean, there's nothing a hard rock metal fan on here. It's not. It's not some. There's nothing on here they wouldn't like. That's for sure. I mean, I love no, it. I think. Exactly. I think direction wise, I mean, it's right up my alley. I mean, I love this kind of stuff. It's big riffs. It's. I mean, I think your voice really suits the music, and and the the one question I have. Thank you. Well, before we get into any specifics, the one thing I do want to ask you about, you mentioned coming together and writing the songs, and you weren't really sure. When you did that, was the intent to, when you're writing these songs and starting to collaborate with Lance and everybody else, was the intent always that it would be a Rex Brown solo thing, or was the intent, maybe we'll, maybe I'll do a band, maybe it'll be something else, Lance, maybe I'll... Yeah, yeah. It, well, it, it wasn't that. I, I didn't want to do the band thing. I just, I wanted to put out something that was going to be, you know, I think maybe for the first 10 minutes until I sang, Lance had this one song that was, 
pretty much complete and we, we rewrote it, but I, I sang the vocals on Fault Line, which is a really kind of a trippy uh, um, song on the record. And once we found that voice and everything just started coming into place. So I was like, well, look, I don't want to do, you know, Rex and the, and the coyotes or whatever for better jalapenos or whatever the fuck. <laughs> I just wanted to do a Rex Brown record because I've never done one, you know, and I was sending this stuff out to our buddy Givens over at Fuck Did He One, and um, he was liking what he was hearing, but I didn't ink a deal till it was till it was mastered. I mean, it was done in the can, um, and from there, you know, then you have to put all the artwork together and all that other stuff. And but you know what? It it, it was it was a blessing in disguise, man. It's just this is what I want to do, and now you know I strap on the bass for maybe one song. You know, the rest of it, I'm playing guitar and just singing on. And it's just, like I was saying, it's a very liberating feeling. I don't know what else to say other than, you know, people keep asking me, well, why didn't you do this 10 years ago? Well, because I probably wasn't ready 10 years ago. You know, um, this is the now and this is where I, I feel comfortable. Um, and I've got a stellar band behind me. I've got all cast of characters, man. It's, I call it the Brown family groove. Well, you got our you got our boy uh, Johnny Kelly playing drums, right? I know he's in the video. Johnny's playing drums. Yeah, there's some dates that, that he's not going to be on, but I have you know I've got a stable worth of guys that are that are that we're touring with. So it's it's um, just depending on what the circumstances are. Here we go into the fall, and we're going to Germany on the uh, 30th, I think, of this month, um, and doing about three fifths full of dates. Um, and then coming back and then flying back over and do, doing some festivals again. And then uh, hopefully we can get a North America run in here somewhere um, before the first of the year. If not, I'm going to go back in and, and uh, man, I've got tons of songs that I want to do. You know, I know, I know tons. that you really, I know that you really had this thing wrapped up before you even got to the label end of it, because when you oh, came yeah. in to this show and you sat with me to talk about that Pantera book, at the time when you were in the studio with me last, you had given me a burn of this and you said, have a listen to this. Right. This is something I'm, I'm, I'm working on. And, and you gave me the, the CDR and, and I listened to it. And then you had sent me a text. You said, hold on, don't do anything yet. Cause I'm about to sign a deal and we might make a few changes. So you were really, even at that point, you were, you were well along with this, but you still weren't sure where it was going to end up. Yeah. You know, what's crazy is I funded this thing. And at the same time we'd, um, my love and I bought this house and we, we, we completely renovated the whole thing, knocked out walls. And, and so it took about a, we, I, I, I'd had about nine songs done or what I thought were done. And so I took a four month break and I really, some other songs came to me and Lance had also sent me some stuff and we really started working really hard about this time last year to finish off this record so yeah man I, it's been done in the can since probably you know the last week of december you know so i've just been sitting on it for the last eight months going oh my god man please come out you know <laughs> um, I, I want people to hear it you know i want i want to uh i want to you know look i've got a gift and i i want to share it you know and it it's and that's all I can do, man. You know that that's that's all I do. I, I, how much? I how much? And... Yeah, Rex. Let me ask you: How much guitar playing had you done prior to this record? Were you? So, I mean, you're known as a bass player, 
But if, I mean, did you did you always play guitar? Did you always knock around with it yeah. a little bit and not just play it live? I've got a guitar. I've got a guitar sitting next to my bed. I always have. It's been there constantly. Not a bass, but a guitar. Um, I would find, you know, I did a lot of arrangements in the Pantera thing, you know, between me and Don sitting in a room and what did it, where do we need to go from here? And sometimes we would just switch over instruments and get ideas that way. Um, so guitar is nothing foreign to me. I've been playing since I was probably 10 years old. And look, I'm just a, a, just a rhythm guitar player. I played lead on two songs on the record, but, uh, they're nothing dazzling, sweeping arpeggioed out, you know. Um, I'm no Zach, you know, but at the same time, it, it for the feel of the song, that's that's what I wanted to capture, you know. Um, and you know, I, guitar for me is like just second nature. I mean, you know, look, the difference between a bass and a guitar isn't that far removed. It's just an octave and two strings, you know, for me. So um, I went back home to Texas during when we were riding, and I just took my old telly and stuck it through my old 68 Twin Reverb, no pedals, and, and really knocked a bunch of rust off. And uh, so we went to the studio to record in October. We, we re-recorded the drums and then came back in October and and went back with this guitar army. And we had so many guitar tracks that we, couldn't even, that we didn't even use. Um, but I wanted to put something firmly in the bottom of it where it was kind of holding together with the bass because I played the bass um, you know, their very first tracks when we were tracking, I only, re- I only dubbed two songs on the whole record, you know? So, uh, that's, that was the chemistry, man. I mean, it, it was just flying out of that studio and to capture the, all that, it was, um, it was just, man, it was just an incredible musical experience for me. And I can't wait to get back to doing it because now I have the formula. Now I know what I want to do. Um, and just let the wind blow, you know, that's, that's my motto, man. Life's too short. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm looking at your website and it's a great looking website by the way. It looks it's an Thank awesome you. site. But who who does your website? Do you do it yourself or you who 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 designed this? It looks really cool. Uh I had somebody from management do that for me and then uh I have a girl in Europe that does all my social networking for me. Hi Barb, if you're listening. <laughs> um she's wonderful. I mean, she's just taking this to another level. So um <laughs> You know, she does all my social stuff and and uh, and just on it every day. You know, so um, it's 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 uh, it's one of those things I never had before. You know, so here we go. You know, it's kind of like this was kind of a reinvention of what I wanted to do. You know, I, I was always the old rock and roll guy, and you know, Pantera or whatever back in the day. I, you know, Ed, I I still listen to old Foghat records, and I still listen to you know. Um, Gail Bregan, of course, the first three Kiss records and shit, Humble Pie to, you know, you name it. I just, there was a feeling in the seventies of, uh, of bringing where it was just music and and it wasn't, you didn't, it wasn't this genre that had to be, you know, you had to play in and play by these rules. Um, and I damn sure don't want to play them now. I just want to make some music and have fun, man. That's all there is to it. It's simple. RexBrown.net is the website. Go there. You can get all the information you want about Rex. You can get all the tour dates as well as they come in. Much of the stuff, as Rex just mentioned, is happening in Europe, but there is uh, there's stuff that's going to be added and uh, all the news and all the information that you need is there. So, Rex, I was thinking about I this. I just saw the cow, dude. <laughs> I just saw the cow. Oh, what my do you think? God. Uh, it's... <laughs> 
it's remarkably where we I love where were you on August of whatever, November the sixteenth? <laughs> That's a crazy. All right, sorry, I had to get that out. <laughs> no, I'm glad you saw it, so you didn't think I was insane. We're talking for people who just joined us. There's a, the, a cow that, is insane. that has the same markings that Gene Simmons' makeup. I'm wondering if Gene is going to try to sue the cow for makeup infringement. Probably, or he might <laughs> buy it and put it in the back of his, you know, put it on his TV show. I think he might buy it and take Gene. it on. He might buy it and take it on tour. You imagine it be in the lobby of every Kiss show. You could pet the Gene cow. Dude, I wouldn't put it past him, and I I love the man. You know, uh, uh, I'm but, saying I'm, it's all coming from love, but yeah, anything's possible here. Mm-hmm. Especially in Gene's <laughs> world. Exactly. So, what I wanted to ask you, Rex, about going out and playing live. What are you going to play live? Because you got one solo record, so you're obviously going to play this record, but are you going to play Pantera songs? Are you going to play Down? Are you going to play Kill Devil mm-hmm. Hill? Are you going to work in some covers? What are you going to do? We've been working up some stuff, man. Um, headed to, I, I don't want to kind of give it away. Um, at the same time, it it's, uh, well, I will. I, well, no, I won't. It's just, man, it's, it, it, uh, we, we just finished our first showcase in Nashville a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, we played the, the record through just in its entirety, which is only 45 minutes. Um, and didn't put any covers in or anything else like that. But, you know, the set was close to an hour. I got up and kind of talked a little bit. And I don't like doing that too much. Um, just trying to get the crowd's response, you know? So, um, I, you know, the show is, is all in my head, but, it, it's uh, we have about uh, about fifteen covers to pick from, um, and just kind of throw these in when we see the crowd kind of starting to swerve. You know what I'm saying? Um, but it's look, you're not going to see uh, lightning coming out of my ass or fucking you know shooting flames out of my nose or any any kind of stupid shit like that. So, um, <laughs> but it it is is a damn good show. I mean, and it, it's real. It's honest. Um, you know, I'm just trying to, um, you know, now that here comes the new whole game, it, it the, the sky's the limit of what you could possibly do. You know, and as we were talking about all these old songs, um, you know, that's that's where my kick is these days. You know, you were talking other... about also, you talked about the Rolling Stones before when I was on break and yeah. uh, about the old albums coming out and stuff like that or, or being, you know, with the record company holding on to it. You know, those Pantera records are, are just about coming up. So um, it, that, that's kind of crazy. You said that. But, there, I, you know, look, with the Pantera stuff, no, I'm not going to play any Pantera stuff because there's only one chemistry in that band, you know. Um, and I just, it's not the same. I, I do not want to go and rehash that because, number one, you can't do it. Number two, it's just, um, it's just that's not what this band is all about. You and uh, what's the? I mean, I know you, the the reissues of those Pantera records continue to come out. The anniversary reissues, oh yeah. Where where are you uh, where are you at with um, with these days with uh, with Phil and Vinny? Are you are you what, what kind of what kind of terms are you guys are you on with those guys? I saw Philip uh, two months of Sundays ago, um, and Philip and I have been tight forever. You know, um, Vinny. I, you know, uh, we've we've reached out a couple of times in, in emails and stuff like that because we still have business to run. 
Um, it, you know, I, 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 I just say, you know, um, never say never, you know, with something like that. There's, there's a bunch of water underneath that bridge that needs to be cleared up and I wish it would, you know, I really do. And, um, but look, I've got to keep on trekking down the road, baby. You know, that's what I got to do. So, um, you know, you just, you never say never. It, 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 this life that we have is too, too short, too precious to, uh, but at the same time, you know, I look back at those, those memories that we had and, and if it weren't cut short, you know, especially as I sing in one of my songs and buried alive, it's, um, if it weren't cut short, you know, those, those whys are still there, you know, um, Vinny is Vinny, Philip is Phil, I'm me, you know, and, but there's no, I mean, I, there's no hard blood between Philip and I. It's just, it's, Vinny will not speak with any one of us. So there you go. So when you, when you say never say never, when, when you say never say never, as far as when you say that, do you mean that in terms of never say never in terms of reconnecting with Vinny or never say never to all the fans who continue to hope that that music is played live again in some way with you guys? Oh, both, both, man. I, right. I think number one is, is, is with Vince. You know, I would love to sit and hash this out, man, you know, um, and just become friends again. I really would. I mean, that, I've always uh, I've tried to leave all the branches. There was a bunch of shit in my book that was not supposed to be in that book, and I went through 10 different edits, and they put it in there anyway. And uh, and it left a fucking bit of sour in some people's mouths. And, and look, I, I was just telling my own truth. But at the same time, you know, um, we're all like that, man. You know, um, he's got his grievances. I've got mine. But let's let's come to a common, common base. Am I saying it's going to happen tomorrow? Probably not. But can we shoot for the next day? <laughs> you know? Um, I, I think that that is important. We share too much of our, our lives together um, to just let it go down the tubes. But it's been a long time, Eddie, that we haven't been in touch. Would you like you know? to play those songs again? Would Would you personally, I, I mean, outside, outside of what the fans and everything, would you love to get on stage with Vinny and Philip and, a lot of people say it would be Zach because he was so close with Dime or whatever. And 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 not only, uh, you know, yeah. it certainly it couldn't be Pantera because obviously it's not because Dime's not no. there. But no. but it could be a great celebration of Pantera. Like, I'll give you an example. I went to see Queen the other day. I took my nine-year-old who loves Queen. And awesome. I went to see Queen. And I told him, I said, listen, you know, they had a singer. The guy you heard on the records, he's no longer alive. He cannot be replaced. He will never be replaced, Freddie Mercury. But they got a guy now that sings really well and does a great celebration of the music. So that's what you're seeing. You're seeing two original guys, the guitar player and the drummer, and you're seeing a guy do a tribute to, to, to really to the singer. So that would be the way I think it would have to be viewed if it was to ever happen. I think, number one, we'd have to sit in a room and talk, and then we'd strap our instruments on and and let's see what's got what if we've got the chemistry together i mean it, it, it's 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 not just putting on in hey let's get on stage and you know i mean you have to do this in remembrance of don and uh you know that music died when he did it would not not died but you know what i mean i mean the chemistry definitely um it, it would it would be very hard but at the same time like i say i never say never to any kind of stuff like that because like I said earlier, man, it's a history, you know, um, 
Now, is that going to change the way that I, I look at, at my performances when I do this solo thing? Hell no, it's not. I've got, man, I, I got to, you know, you're only as good as your last gig. You know, so I'm trying to steer away from the question, Andy, is what I'm trying to do. Um, I've, you know, I've said my piece here, and, and, and that's, that's just the way that I feel. You know, um, there's but there's a lot of water underneath that bridge that needs to be taken care of. Right. Let me ask you about another band that you were a part of that I really liked. You know, I was speaking to my son. I, I he he just um, he just uh, started to play bass at nine years old, and you nice. gave me you gave me you were nice enough to give me a bass which I just found recently because I'd moved since you wow. gave it to me and I just unpacked it the the Kill Devil Hill bass and I was showing it to my son and he was looking at it I said you can't play that one yet you got to learn but you know he was right. checking it out so it reminded me about Kill Devil Hill and and uh, I see some of those guys I saw Dewey not too long ago in LA where are you at with that band do you hope to revisit that someday yeah absolutely you know, I just uh, I want to do this thing and see how it runs, and and uh, and you know, there's no reason I can't do both. You know, um, I've got Johnny who's with me, and Johnny was in Kill Level Hill with me, so right. it's uh, and I talk to Mark all the time. In fact, I've talked to Dewey uh, on my birthday this last week, and and uh, so you know, I, I just wanted to do this this solo record, and and then we see where it goes from there. You know, um, but. You know, right, writing those guys off? No, I mean, you know, um, number one, I, you know, they're friends of mine and everything else. Musically, sometimes you just have to go take some chances, and that's what I wanted to do with this. And um, so, you know, that that's another, you know, never say never. You know, it it it, it will definitely probably happen, but I'm not. It's not going to happen now. You know, it, it, here in the next year, we'll start talking. I'll tell you what. Listening to this track, record, we already have we we got track we've got tracks in the can, you know. Oh so, wow, we'll see. Uh, one last thing before I let you go: listening to this record, "Smoke on This" again is the new album from Rex Brown, who we've been talking to here, and uh, the album is out now. You can get it anywhere in any form that you want. I'll tell you what, Rex, one of the things, I mean, I love the direction you have on this record. I love the sound of the record. I was dry, I, before we started getting crazy weather here i was driving around listening to it in my convertible had it cranked up it was awesome it was a great record to do that with and the thing that Thank struck you. me about it is i was listening to it i was like you know this record really merges and brings there's you can see all of your influences here throughout this record and direction wise what you're doing it could really lend you, you this could lend you to really playing with just about anybody in terms of sharing a bill, I could see you playing with, certainly it would fit with a heavy rock show. It would fit with almost a Southern rock band. You know, it wouldn't be crazy to, for me and to see you out with like exactly a Leonard Skinner or something. Yeah, that's dude. You hit it right on the nail. You hit the nail right on the head. That's uh, that's exactly what we're, we're kind of going towards. Um, but, you know, look, man, I'll get up and play in front of anybody. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I, I, I just... Uh, I got the passion back in. That's a bit. That's the main. That's the main thing. Um, and this being doing this solo record has got me back to life of where I want to be. You know, um, it's brought me, brought back in, uh, a whole nother. You know, when I started this thing, I figured, well, what you know, what did you get into music for in the first place? Now, look, I've been in business as long as you have. That's a long time. You know, you kind of get. Um, you kind of get burned out a little bit and I had to take a little bit of time off and then I had to go explore these sounds that were in my head, get them out of there. And then, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what the, how the wind blows and see how it goes, man. 
you know, but is look, I'm really, really blessed and, and, and proud of this record, man, you know, and that's my number one priority right now. Um, all the other stuff is, man, I'm still a young man. I've got plenty more notes in me, man, you know, so thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. It's always good to talk to you. I'm really happy that you made this record. It's, uh, it's definitely something that, you know, I really connect with. I really like, and like I said, I think it could open up some, some, even after all these years you've been doing it, open up some new doors for you and some new audiences because it it really, it really can connect on a lot of different levels with people. And it's a, it's a really just good straight up hard rocking record. And that's, that's what I'm all about. So uh, good luck with it. Everybody pick up Rex Brown smoke on this. It is out now. Go to rexbrown.net. Keep up with what Rex is doing and uh, look for some U.S. dates after this European run. Travel safe, brother. We'll talk to you soon, okay? I love you, baby. We'll talk to you Love soon. you too, man. Bye-bye. All right. Have a good one. Well, my thanks to Rex Brown. Always good to talk to Rex. And also big thanks to Joe Elliott of Def Leppard for joining us earlier. Uh, great double dip here on this week's edition of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Thank you guys for downloading, streaming, and listening each and every week, however you do it. Thanks to Katie Irizarry. She is the producer and puts it all together. Don't forget the interviews you hear are courtesy of my live daily radio show on Sirius XM 106 volume. Hope you join me for Trunk Nation Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, replaying every night, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern, again, on Sirius XM Radio, channel 106. Follow on social media, at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, eddietrunk.com is the website. If you're in Houston, come see me today or tomorrow from 1 to 3 at the House of Blues, broadcasting my volume show from there, or catch me Friday night at Tumbleweeds in Houston, And again, all my other appearances are on the site as well. And don't forget, if you shop on Amazon, be sure to start on my show page. Got my own storefront there, amazon.com slash shop slash Eddie Trunk. Have a look at some of the things that I hand selected. And from there, go anywhere else you want to go on Amazon. All right, everybody. See you guys again next Thursday for another all new Eddie Trunk podcast, podcast1.com and iTunes.
fantasy football season is here, and we've got the best fantasy football podcast anywhere because we've got the best fantasy football analyst in Evan Silva from rotoworld.com. Make sure you subscribe to the Fantasy Feast podcast so you can hear me, Ross Tucker, get Evan's rankings and draft strategies to give you the edge you need this year. That's the Fantasy Feast podcast, available on the Podcast One app or wherever podcasts are found. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.